Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, God's word says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Would we know how to live like you? even in righteous anger. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, during the midst of COVID, I went shopping and was talking to the cashier about her grandson and his online classes through WFISD. She told me how he cheated at his schoolwork, and I was shocked to see how little she cared. I have often thought about that conversation and how we've lost a good sense of anger. You know, who was being hurt by his cheating? Well, her grandson was being hurt because he wasn't learning the very things he was supposed to be learning. And while he wasn't learning any school subjects, he was learning from his grandmother that it's okay to cheat sometimes. I mean, it's not really cheating unless you're caught, right? Well, no, that's not right. You know, sometimes our lack of anger is a harm to those around us. And other times, our short fuse is a harm. Thus, Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. We're looking at all of these commands to us in Ephesians 4, 25-32, and they really flow from everything that came before this in this letter, specifically Verses 17 through 24 before this, where we're told, because of our salvation, we're to put off certain sins and we're to put on certain righteous characteristics. Characteristics that verse 24 says are after the likeness of God and true righteousness or holiness. Or, if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, that we are to be imitators of God. As God's children, we are to look like our Father in our actions. And today we're going to look at the reality of God's anger and how we should act. Thus the emphasis of the sermon in our passages reflect God by being slow to anger. And today we're going to focus on the reality of anger. How anger can be good and then how most often, most commonly, our anger is wretched. And yet we all know anger is woven so intricately in our life that next week I want to look at this topic again and, well, how do we get control of our anger? How do we stop our anger when so many times we've said, okay, this time when I get together with them, I'm not going to blow it. And five minutes in, we're going, why am I so angry already? How do we do that? Well, first, the reality of anger. One of my professors wrote this book entitled Good and Angry, and the second chapter is entitled Do you have a serious problem with anger? Now, this may not be best to do in a sermon, but what he wrote is so clear. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. Okay. Do you have a serious problem with anger? Yes. Chapter 3 begins, I can confidently write that you have a serious problem with anger because I do. Because we all do. We all have a problem with anger. We like to minimize, excuse, rationalize, but if we're honest, we all struggle with anger. And what is it that we're even talking about when we're talking about 
our anger. Because often, we just don't define things very well. You know, one time, Sarah and I were interacting with a young woman who was sadly going through a divorce. And we were helping her, counseling her, and we got near the time when she was going to have her court date. And I just asked her, you know, how are you doing battling anger and bitterness in this situation? And she replied, I'm not struggling with that at all. I'm glad this is happening. And you know what? I'm going to go to that court in the cutest, tightest outfit I got. So he's not. So he's going to know what he's not getting anymore. And I thought, I don't know what you define as bitter and angry, but everything you just said strikes me as you're quite bitter and angry about this situation. And so we redefine things. We say things differently. Oh, no, no, I'm not angry. And yet, let's look. What is our anger? You know, I've also been helped by a book. I'm not going to read anything from it. Uh, Uprooting Anger. I'll put a copy out on the table if anyone would like to take it. Um, And in this book, the author describes anger as our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. I'll say that again, and then I'll give a simpler definition. He says, our anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. And the simpler definition is, anger is our response when we think something's wrong. Now, please hear that definition. When I'm talking about anger this morning, I'm talking about when we think something is wrong. When we often hear the word anger, we think of what we do with that anger. So, if you don't understand my definition, you're going to mishear everything else I say. Rage is a type of anger, but it's not the only type. And I hope to show you that anger can be good. For its core, anger is just saying something is wrong in this world. Whether that anger is good or bad is based on what we then do with that assessment. Well, let's think about anger. You know, anger, as Jones said, is a whole person active response. When you're angry, it's not just your emotions. Your whole body responds. A few weeks ago, I had a referee game for soccer, and I couldn't show up on early, so I had one of my assistant referees go and check everyone in. And when I showed up to the field, he said, hey, I talked to this coach about one of his players' uniforms, and he's really upset. I could tell, because as he was talking to me, his lips started quivering. And you've probably seen the same type of things. It's not just your emotions. Your hands start to tremble. Your heart starts to race. You may start to sweat. Your mind begins to race. Anger is not just an emotion. If you go read online, that's what they'll tell you over and over. Well, anger is just an emotion like any other emotion. Well, I don't believe that's true. Anger is our whole body response to something that we think is wrong. And as well, second, anger is our active response. Now, you may not consciously choose someone does something and you don't sit there and go, hmm, should I be angry about this? And you don't sit there and have a nice little thought process about it. But anger comes from us. What I'm trying to say is, No one or nothing makes you angry. They or their actions might be the pressure points that reveal your anger, but they don't make you angry. You know, we like to believe they make us angry because it gives us a pass. You know, I'm sorry for what I did, but when you said that, it made me so angry. Well, I'm sorry for doing that, but what I saw on the news just made me so angry. Well, we know this isn't true, Because every day, people experience similar circumstances. One person gets angry, the other person does not. Everyone hears the same comment. One person boils over, 
and the other person does nothing. If the comment made you angry, then both people would be angry. The rude driver weaves in and out of traffic, and some people are boiling hot, and other people just keep singing. If the driver makes you angry, then every single driver on the road would be angry. And while this is, on one level, discouraging, because I'm the one actively doing this, it's actually good news. And it's good news because it means you're not just, what we might say, a robot or a machine. You know, what does a robot or a machine do? Well, they do whatever is given to them. They don't have a choice. You put in the right input, and it's going to respond the correct way. But you're a human. You don't have to act a certain way. God has saved you from your sins and given you His Holy Spirit so that you can overcome. That you don't have to act a certain way just because of what's going on around us. So anger is our whole person active response, and it responds to something that we think is wrong. Our anger says, that's unjust. That's not right. And so anger thus reveals what we truly think is good and right. In other words, anger is an accurate, though sometimes discouraging, an accurate revealer of what we truly think matters in this world. You know, when I internally simmer because I wanted to get five jobs done around the house, but I only got to get two done. Well, was that really wrong? Well, if thus saith Jeremy always has to come true, then yes. But is that truly what matters in life? And so our anger is a revealer of what truly matters to us. And we are equal opportunity people when it comes to our anger. We get angry things. I hate this video game. We get angry at others. Oh, the way they boast drives me up the wall. We get angry at ourselves. I'm so dumb. I hate myself. I can't believe I did that again. We get angry at life in general. Of all the days it had to rain. Had to rain on my birthday, huh? And our anger flows at anything and anyone that acts differently than we think it or they should. Now, I want to be clear here, because we can have a misunderstanding of anger, and that is that anger is blowing a fuse, as we might say, or it's external signs. And many of us, because of that, think, well, I don't have an anger problem. They have an anger problem. They're always getting mad all the time. And we say that because we're not loud. We're not doing external things. But remember, anger is just our response to something that's wrong. Irritability complaining, bitterness, those are angry responses as well. And some of us are the type that, yes, others don't know immediately we're angry, but inside we're steaming. We've learned how to cover everything, to put this veneer, to smile, but inside we are oscillating between bitterness and depression. And perhaps for years you've had issues with people and from time to time you like to go and rehearse those and lick your wounds and you know as soon as those people come in your mind you have so many grudges of anger against them everyone may think they're so calm they're so nice but inside you're boiling hot so friends don't deceive yourselves your years of unresolved anger may not be known to others but they're just as destructive as the person who blows their top. 
We all have serious anger problems that need to be confronted, repented of, and changed. Like the chapter in the book, do you have a serious problem with anger? Yes. However it sinfully manifests itself in our lives, it is a major problem. And you might be thinking though, but anger isn't always a problem. That's even where you began. And yes, so we need to look at the goodness of anger. Remember, anger is our whole person, active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil, or anger is our response to something that's wrong. You know, our culture often idealizes the Buddhist monk and their ideal of being dispassionate. You know, we listen to the all-wise Yoda pontificate. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. You know, if you don't want to suffer, then you need to combat any anger you have, or so Yoda says. We think there's some great virtue in being a sea of tranquility in the midst of the storms of life. And can we really disagree with Yoda? Yes, we can and we should. For while there are times in life where it is good to learn how to control yourself, it's not a virtue to be dispassionate in all of life. Was it good for the grandma I mentioned earlier to not care about her grandson's cheating? Is it a virtue to be inert when you see a child wandering towards a street chasing a ball? To sit there calm and tranquil and, I don't care. Is it a virtue to not respond when you hear of someone being attacked by cancer? Of course not. You know, our ideal is not a Buddhist monk. Our ideal is God's only son, Jesus. And so turn with me to Mark chapter 3, because we're going to look at two times where very clearly Jesus showed anger. Mark chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. So the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. It reads, again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The whole point of God's law is love. And the Sabbath was a restriction to give mercy to people, to give them rest. Yet the Pharisees cared more about their interpretation of the law and maintaining that than they did about mercy and helping people. That's when Jesus sees their hardened hearts, their twisting and distortion of his good law, he rightly responds with anger. In other words, Jesus was not dispassionate or emotionless to such hard, cold hearts. No, Jesus responds with a strong judgment against their evil. Flip over two books to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 11, where we'll see another story in which Jesus' anger is displayed. John chapter 11 is the chapter in which Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. 
and then he will go and rise Lazarus from the dead. But before he does that, he talks with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. Look at John <coughs> chapter 11, verses 32 through 33. There it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. If you look down at verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And that phrase, deeply moved, actually comes from one Greek word. It's a word that means to be very angry, to be moved with indignation. When Jesus saw the destructive nature of death, it made him angry. B.B. Warfield writes, Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. It is death that is the object of Jesus' wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death in him and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. Jesus' soul is held by rage. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. What John does for us, Warfield continues, is to uncover for us the very heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation. Not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe Jesus smites in our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression, and under the impulse of these feelings, he has wrought our redemption. You know, how could anger ever be any better than Jesus here? Because Jesus' anger doesn't lead him to blow his top, it leads him to go and die to kill sin, death, and the devil. And this anger can only be explained because of his deep love and compassion. You know, it's a sad irony that many today seek to deny God's anger because they think it'll highlight God's love. Yet it is the exact opposite, for the depth of God's love for us is seen in this very story at the depth of Jesus' anger at what the cancer of sin does to us. Death. You know, it's not just Jesus, though, for God's righteous anger is throughout the Bible. You may remember the story of when Moses asked to see God's glory, and then God passed before him, and this is what God declared about himself. Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. God reveals himself as a being who is, notice the wording, slow to anger, not no anger. Again, we so rarely see anger used righteously that we think, well, I can't be right. To hear God gets angry is shocking to us. But notice the goodness of this. You know, whereas our fuse is short, God is slow to anger. He does not blow up, rage, or lose control. Whereas we say we suffer no fools, he is long-suffering. You know, it's ironic how we treat people. When we sin against someone, what do we say? Well, you don't understand my intentions. You don't know what I was really trying to do. We want them to understand, be patient and slow. When someone sins against us, though, well, that doesn't matter what you meant. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. You did it. In other words, we want justice. 
You know, we lose it when sinned against, and what slowness of anger when sinning. And what comforting words it is that God is slow to anger with us. Now, some will deny God's anger, saying, well, yes, yes, that's the Old Testament, but we believe in the loving God of the New Testament. Or so they say, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. That's the God we believe in. And yet in that very same story, when Jesus is talking, Jesus continues and says in John 3.36, same passage, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world by taking God's wrath against himself. And if we have not turned to Christ, then that wrath still remains on us. And we've seen this very truth in Ephesians. Flip back to Ephesians to chapter 1. Because there, these same ideas are being conveyed. And Paul is saying, look, because God is like this, now when I get to how you should live, you should then act like that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And we are bought and forgiven by God due to the blood of Christ. Now, look over one chapter, Ephesians 2, verse 3, where it describes what we were like before God saved us. It says, Among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. If Jesus did not come to give his life for us, we would still be under God's wrath. So look down in that same chapter, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So to try and save God's love by removing his wrath is to undercut any meaning to the love of God. Because it is his very love that sent him to pay for that wrath. And it's because of his love for us that his angers him what sin is doing to us. Now I know that this is a very hard topic for some of you. Just the word anger, and you have flashbacks of the horrific ways you have felt others' anger. You are internally torn up, and perhaps even rage against the actions and attitudes they had towards you. And I hope in seeing the good anger of God, you can release your anger by turning it over to God. You know, no one will ever avoid, escape God's just punishment. And anger. They may seem right now that they are getting away with it. They may have gotten a punishment that is completely inadequate to the things they have done to you. Yet, friends, listen to Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Every sin receives God's anger. Either they will receive it themselves on the day of judgment, or Christ has taken that anger, that wrath, upon himself. It feels good in the moment to nurse our anger, 
to replay the ways we've been sinned against. Yet our anger is always mixed with our sin. The perfect anger of God burns much hotter and pure than yours. One day he will make all things right. And thus, rather than seeking vengeance, entrust the one whose anger will be perfect, just, and right. In knowing God's perfect anger, it should help us to learn how to deal with ours. And God's good, slow anger is why Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. That's why our passage here today, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, commands us, be angry and do not sin. There is a righteous type of anger we should have. And so we are commanded, but Paul immediately recognizes so often in our anger, it gets messed up with our sin. And so some of us need to learn to get angrier over some things. And most of us need to learn how to deal with our messed up anger. And that leads to the third point, the wretchedness of anger. And there are basically two ways our anger is wretched. First, when we have a wrong response to a right moral insight. And then second, when we have a wrong response to a wrong moral insight. And we must take both of these very seriously because notice what it says in our passage when we're angry. It says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Some of you have gone rock climbing and you know that as you're going, you need footholds. Almost no one is strong enough to just arm themselves up the whole cliff. And once you get that foot in, you can go so much higher. Well, when you continue in your anger, Paul is warning us, you're giving the devil footholds. He's just climbing farther and higher in your life. He's doing more with you every time you cling to that anger rather than giving it to the Lord. So the first way we need to consider is a wrong response to a right moral insight. This is what we read earlier in Numbers 20 and Moses' anger. Moses was right to be upset with Israel because Israel was again grumbling. Israel was charging Moses and God that they didn't love them, they don't care, and they just brought them out in the wilderness to die. And God had punished Israel for those exact sins before this. So Moses being upset was not wrong. It's that he sinned in his response. He recognized their sin for sin, but his response to their sin was also sinful. And God didn't this wave Moses off his sin, go, you know, it's no big deal. You were really, you had right motives. You were concerned about good things. So how you responded, that's no big deal. No, God responded and he no longer would allow Moses to lead Israel into the promised land. We must take this seriously. You can be completely right in that what they did was wrong and yet still be sinfully angry in how you respond. You know, we overreact. We are quick rather than slow to anger. We seek revenge rather than following Romans 12, 19 about leaving it to the wrath of God. And like Israel, we should realize our grumbling about things or grumbling about life in general is actually not just generic. That grumbling is against God. To say, of all days, why did it have to rain on my birthday? 
is to point the finger of accusation at God and go, God, why did you let it rain on my birthday? And when we think of anger, this is what we often think of, this sinful overreaction to what someone's done. And the Bible has many warnings about our sinful anger. Proverbs 29, 22, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 25, 28, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. As this proverb warns, anger often leaves us out of control, and we often don't see clearly. Even our passages, we've noted, even after Paul commands us to be angry, he immediately says, and do not sin, because we so quickly move to unrighteous anger. That's why even at the end of this passage, he will even say, put away all clamor and slander and malice and anger. I don't think he's contradicting himself. I think he's recognizing that the righteous anger we so often claim to have is not very common. Rather, our sinful anger is. Yes, true love is concerned for others. Yet, notice what 1 Corinthians 13 says about our love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude and does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Or it could be translated, it does not get easily angered. You know, sadly for many of us, and too often for me, we can just go around being grumps. We may not be blowing our top, but we're just irritable and unenjoyable to be around. You know, earlier we noted Jesus' anger, but that wasn't the normal description of his life. Yes, there are clear incidents. We could look at other incidents in Jesus' life. Yet, Jesus more clearly, more accurately understood sin. He was around it all the time, and yet, he's not known of someone who was regularly angry. As well, most of the times he was angry was clear sin against God. How did Jesus react when people personally attacked him? Well, you can read the Gospels and see, or... First Peter 2, his apostle, his disciple Peter explains it well because he says when Jesus was reviled, when he was attacked personally, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. You know, those whom Jesus expressed his most outrage at was not the Romans or the sinners. It was the hypocritical religious people of his day. You know, when Jesus was around the tax collectors and sinners, he's not upset at them about their sin. Rather, he's compassionate. And likewise, we need to realize this letter to the Ephesians is mainly written to how we relate to people in the church. Yes, there are applications, implications for how we relate to others. And yet, sometimes people take a passage like this, they take Jesus cleansing the temple and say, It's right for me to be angry at our culture. And yet, I don't think that's the primary way this is being discussed. Yes, we should get angry at some things, even at our culture, but we should avoid the outrage culture that gets stirred up every day online. You know what I'm talking about. You've been to the websites. You can go every single day, and they're going to have 
top seven things that Biden did that's kind of ruining our country. Other website, top eight dumb things that Trump said he's going to do once he comes into office. And every single day you go, they want to send you through the roof with how they're ruining our country. Well, our anger doesn't need to be against them, whichever side of those issues you're on. God wants us to be angry about our own sin. He wants us to be concerned about what's going on in our church. We should be more outraged at whatever side of the aisle we're on, at all the hypocrisy on our side, because it goes both ways, than we are about the hypocrisy on the other side. We should be quicker to point the finger at ourselves and be angry at that than always being upset about others. And so, yes, Jesus did get angry, but it was at those who were hypocritically religious, not those who didn't even claim to know God. And so we've looked at the wretchedness of anger when we see something accurately, but we respond inappropriately. But sometimes we just mess the whole thing up. We don't get angry about anything that's wrong, and we blow our top. You know, this is the story of Jonah. After God is going to deliver the Ninevites because they repent, Jonah gets angry. I don't want you to forgive them, God. He's got a wrong view of what should make him angry. And God even asked him, do you have a right to be angry? You know, this is our anger over the toys when they won't line up on the train track and we hit them all. This is anger when our dog gets on our way. Or when our sports team loses. You know, a prior pastor of mine said that if the Cowboys ever lost, which sadly happens too much, he was almost sure he would be disciplined that day. Not because he would do anything wrong more than other days, but his dad was just so upset, pretty much guaranteed he was going to be disciplined by the end of the day. I have a friend who's a police officer in town, and he said if the Cowboys lose, they always get more domestic abuse calls that day. You know... We are getting angry about things that don't matter. You know, if we find ourselves getting angry, we need to ask ourselves three things. First, is my anger against actual sin? You know, is what makes me angry what God cares about? And is the fact that they're driving slow on the highway a sin or an inconvenience? Does that they're clipping their nails in the movie theater a sin or is it just annoying? As they crack their knuckles, tap their fingers, put the toilet paper on backwards, are these sins or is this me? You know, we have to ask these tough questions. And that leads to the second one. Is my anger focused on God's kingdom's rights and concerns or my kingdom rights and concerns? In other words, does their sin upset you because you realize they're sinning against God? Or does it upset you because they're messing your life up? As they interrupt you and are rude to you, are you concerned because this is showing the sad state of their soul before their creator? Or that they're interrupting you? They're interrupting me and don't they know who I am? Is it about my kingdom or God's kingdom? Third, is my anger surrounded with other godly virtues such as self-control? Trusting God to get revenge and patience. You know, many of us can excuse our anger. Well, that's righteous. Yet we need to consider these things. Is this really sin? Is it about God or is it about me? And are the other things that I'm doing right now really showing that I'm being godly? Or is it mainly pointing to my 
sinful anger. Well, friends, there's so much more we could say about this. We could spend a lot of time in Jesus' words that I read at the beginning of the service, Matthew 5, about how our anger, sinful anger, is murder. We could talk about how our anger is really just destroying us and our witness. And even next week, we're going to take some more time. Well, how do we even get grips on this? How do we get control of our anger? But let me conclude this week by noting again, we're not going to take any steps forward till we have an honest assessment of ourselves and our God. Many of you know the story of the Ten Boom family who lived in the Netherlands during World War II. As the Nazis started coming in, they realized that they were going to imprison and then send to concentration camps and eliminate the Jews. And as these restrictions kept coming more and more, the Ten Booms decided, we are going to welcome into our home the Jews. We're going to try to protect them and keep them safe. And in doing this, one day their house was raided and they were arrested. The two daughters were separated from their elderly father, thrown into jail, and never saw him again in their life. Well, during their imprisonment, they learned that their betrayer was someone they knew, a man named Jean Vogel. And one day, Corey, who writes about this, says, When I thought of Jean, I knew I could kill him if he was in front of me at that moment. However, she was shocked because her sister, Betsy, acted differently. She asked her, Betsy, don't you feel anything about Jean Vogel? Doesn't it bother you? Her sister replied, Oh, yes, Corey, terribly. I felt for him ever since I knew and pray for him whenever his name comes into my mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. Corey then writes, For a long time I lay in silence. Once again I had the feeling that this sister with whom I'd spent all my life belonged somehow to another order of beings. Wasn't she telling me in her gentle way, that I was as guilty as Jean Vogel? Didn't he and I stand together before an all-seeing God convicted of the same sin of murder? For I had murdered him with my heart and my tongue. She then shares her prayer. She says, Lord Jesus, I forgive Jean Vogel as I pray that you'll forgive me. I've done him great damage. Bless him now and his family. She then wraps up this section of her book by writing, that night, for the first time since our betrayers had a name, betrayer had a name, I slept deep and dreamlessly until the whistle summoned us to roll call. Friends, there is real, there is horrific wickedness and sin in this life. Some of you have endured some of the worst of it, and yet wisdom is turning that over to the Lord. It is being angry. But as Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So may we be, as this even says, be of a different order of beings, one remade in the image of our Creator so that we are slow to anger. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so caught up on ourselves. We are so quick to anger, slow to hear. So, Lord, would you please work in us? May we delight in how you're so patient and kind and forgiving, that you're slow to anger in our even constant running back to our sins. So, Lord, forgive us. May we be like you in all we do, even in our anger. 
It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.